Next Chapter Podcasts. This might be one of the most cold-blooded albums I have ever heard. You can leave, but it's gonna cost you Ski button do, scat and scoot do, do. Fuck. Ruthless. You can leave, but it's gonna cost you by Marvin Gaye off his 1978 album, Hear My Dear. It's also number 456 out of 500 on the Spotify original, The 500. What's up, everybody? It's me, Josh Adam Myers, the King of Fleece leading you through Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums. I hope you guys are listening to these records. You're not just listening to the interviews. Listen to these records, guys. This is the greatest recorded music in the history of the world, right? Not every record might connect with you, but give it a chance, man. Listen to it a few times, at least once. Give me that one fucking play, especially when you can listen to it straight through. Like if you're driving like an hour and a half to your cousin's house, you know what I mean? Because you got to go to some, like a wedding or a bar mess, retirement party. If you're driving to your cousin's retirement party, put on album 456, which is what we're doing today. Before I get to that, guys, do the Instagram stories. Take a screenshot of how you're listening to the 500 and tag me at Josh Adam Myers and give a hashtag the 500 podcast maybe throw in fleece army because all of you listeners are that fleecers fleecers no fleecers but give us that 24 hour ad guys we deserve it we're working our fucking ass over here I got 19 employees I haven't met any of them I just get all these like here's here's the breakdown of PIL and and I open it up and it just says this song sucked well this album didn't suck guys Released on December 15th, 1978 on the Motown subsidiary label, Tamla Records, Here My Dear is the 15th studio album released by Marvin Gaye. Most people refer to it as the divorce album. So let's give a quick story just so we can clean up some rumors about it. So in 1959, Marvin Gaye was a 20-year-old staff drummer for Anna Records, which was owned by Motown Records' founder, Barry Gordy's older sister, Anna Gordy. Even though Anna was 17 years older than Marvin, he pursued her and eventually got her to marry him in 1963. Good God, Marvin. There is no shame in Marvin's game. He doesn't care. He's like, is that girl fucking 87 years old? She needs loving too. The couple had a baby boy, Marvin Gaye III, in 1966. I'll bring that up a little bit later. And they also became a successful musical power couple. Now, behind the scenes, their marriage was in trouble. Yet neither wanted to divorce because he was afraid of his record label owner and her brother, Barry Gordy's disapproval. And she didn't want to give up on that lavish lifestyle to which she had grown accustomed. Mm, Heard that story before. But after leaving Detroit and moving to Los Angeles in 1972, years of turbulence, violence, and infidelities led Anna and Marvin to legally separate. A year later, while working on Let's Get It On, Marvin met 16-year-old Janice Hunter, who would become the album's inspiration and mother of his next two children, Nona in 74 and Frankie in 75. He doesn't care. He, he, dude, he honestly, 16? 
16 and 17 years older than him, which, I don't know, you figure at the time, he's fucking in his, what, 30s? I don't even know, man. 1975 was also the year that Anna Gordy finally filed for divorce and sued Marvin for alimony and child support. That started the contention that led directly to this album. After a couple years in court and even arrests due to Marvin claiming that he spent too much money to pay alimony and child support, his lawyer, Curtis Shaw, made a deal with Anna to end the divorce proceedings. It was 1977, and Marvin had just released the number one single, Got to Give It Up. That's a fucking great song. Marvin's follow-up to that successful single would surely be a huge album, so in lieu of paying her outright, Marvin's lawyer convinced him to give Anna half the percentages of the next album's royalties until she was paid the entire amount that he owed her. So Marvin went into the studio with only his engineer, Art Stewart, to make, in his own words, a quickie record, nothing heavy, nothing even good, because why should I break my neck when Anna was going to wind up with the money anyway? But shortly after he started, he became fascinated and inspired by making a record for his soon-to-be ex-wife, and he felt he owed his fans his best effort. So he put the passion into the project and made this double album. Now, when it came out, Here My Dear was a critical and commercial floppadocious katocious. But after Marvin's death in 1984, the music critics came around to hailing it as something of a masterpiece. Even Anna, who once considered suing Marvin over invasion of privacy from this record, eventually came to admire and praise it. And I've got a guest today that's going to praise the shit out of this record. A correspondent from The Daily Show with Trevor Noah on Comedy Central. You've seen his two one-hour Comedy Central specials, No One Loves You and Father Figure. My guest today is Roy Wood Jr., one of my favorite people in the world. And you get to spend an hour with the two of us talking about one of the illest records to ever be put on wax. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500, guys. Listen free on Spotify or anywhere you get your podcasts. And follow me on social media at Josh Adam Myers. Nothing left to say, but here we go with number 456 out of 500 with Hear My Dear by Marvin Gaye. Roy Wood Jr. It is Roy Wood Jr. Roy Wood Jr. You are Roy Wood Jr. Bitch, give me my money back. That was me on horns. Dude, I felt it. So, so... Full disclosure, you're not a huge Marvin Gaye fan. I'm not a Marvin. It's not that I'm not a Marvin Gaye fan. It's just that I don't have the depth of knowledge of Marvin because I didn't grow up on Marvin Gaye. I'm 40, so for me, I would say the closest I probably got to Marvin Gaye was my mom. My mom listened to a lot of Luther. She was more of a Luther Vandross okay. fan. So I came which up like, with that, which is like Marvin Gaye light. Yeah, I didn't come up 
in a Marvin Gaye home. So to have this full-blown wealth of knowledge of his whole discography and all of that stuff, I would be misrepresenting. It, I came up in a Dionne Warwick, Barbara Streisand, because um, we got nothing to be guilty of. Diana Ross and Luther Vandross. Those were the four. And those are good ones to grow up. Three on. blacks and a Jewish woman. Surprising that, <laughs> surprising that 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 Marvin Gaye didn't make its way. Were your parents listening to him, or yeah, they listened to him. But then I also came up in a house where, you know, there was a lot of. It wasn't the most normal marriage. My parents were married. I don't know how happy they always mm. were. So. Maybe Marvin Gaye. Some of those Marvin Gaye songs might bring up too much negative, because you know, especially this album. Because Marvin Gaye is like, motherfucker, remember that time you did the shit, and then it's fucked up. You're killing me, bitch. You're yeah. killing me. It's like it's like happily married people probably don't clean the house to Mary J. Blige. But, but that's it's I pain don't, music. No, no, no. I I gotta disagree. That that one that's like, <laughs> let's get it funky, fine and Yeah, because that song fine. isn't about that's something you, you dust fuck to. me over. Yeah, but you're not gonna <laughs> dust the house to not gonna cry, not gonna shed a tear. <laughs> I'm not gonna cry now. Nah, it's not worth the time because you're not worth my tears. I always remember this. I always remember this about Mary J. Blige, and I love Mary J. Blige. I used to work for this uh, reality porno show called Foursome. It was on Playboy TV. And okay. we shot at a mansion up in on Mulholland. And supposedly, because there was a record studio in the basement, supposedly that's where Mary J. Blige recorded a few songs. And there was this one dude who was probably around your age that, you know, again, is like late 30s, you know, during that time. And he was just like, man, this is where she did it. The queen, man. He started tearing up. Like, he <laughs> loved her so much. And because of that, that made me a, a fucking Mary J. Blige fan. So what was your experience then with Marvin Gaye? So, like, you know, like, tell me about, is it all just sexual healing yeah, sexual and let's healing, get it on? Let's get it on. The, the usual traditional hits that they'd spin at, you know, a party and this, that, and the third. I didn't really, really start getting what's the word, exposed to a lot more B-sides of Marvin Gaye. So my first radio internship, so I did radio, my degree's in broadcast. I did radio for about 14 years while I was doing stand-up. But while I was still in college, my very first radio internship was at an oldies black station where okay. they played classic soul and like all of that Marvin Sapp and like all of that old school let's go baby to the hole in the wall, like all that southern, more blues adjacent. Yeah than R&B, but we got a lot of the B-sides of other popular artists, and like, oh, that's him? I've never heard that song before. That's because you don't know nothing, young blood. You little young motherfuckers on the So that kind of became my black music tutorial, which is why when I ended up working at the hip-hop station, I heard all the samples of everything. Like, oh, I know the original version of that. That's that song from this song and that yeah. song. So it wasn't until college that I started realizing that, oh, that dude did more than three songs. Yeah. Because you just don't know. You're a high school kid. You just listen to whatever the hell your parents listen to. The one thing I can say about this record is this might be the realest record I've ever listened to about a person just in going the shit it. and going through it and feeling it. Like, he doesn't hide at all from, he doesn't, it's not like he's giving metaphors. Like, he is straight up like, bitch, you're killing me. You're taking my money. Bro, it's like he sang this song with the divorce papers in his hand. Yes. Yes. Like this album was recorded with divorce papers just laid out on an easel for him to look at for inspiration. <laughs> He's like, put up Article 2. Put up yeah. Article 2. I'm about to sing the chorus. Ooh, <laughs> I want to feel it. I want to feel it. So this record is a fuck you to his wife. 
What do you think it must have been like for Marvin to write an entire album knowing full well all the money was going to his ex-wife he hated? That's the ultimate. I mean, we would call it trolling now. But the thing that's crazy about it is that it's still a good album. It is. It was a great album, and it's like a hundred percent like relatable. Like if you're going through that type of stuff, like I, I just think that the difference between Marvin Gaye and say a another artist is that Marvin Gaye didn't wait the twenty four hour cool down <laughs> before you do the thing that you think you might regret. He's yeah. just like, nah. This is what I'm doing. And you know he didn't record this over a couple of days, so he was mad for months. Oh, you this, yeah. Remaster and re-loop and go back in. So he went to the studio. Are you still mad as yesterday? You're goddamn right I am. Yeah, they were like, they were like, hey, we need to redo the vocals on track five. Not goes, a problem. All right, for a second. Can you, uh, can you show me that picture of her looking at Leroy with the, with the sex eyes? You fucking bitch! Whoa, whoa, The only thing he really didn't get into is why the marriage went south. That was the one thing where I feel like just I don't know the gossipy I think, part of me. I think we have the I think we have that in the facts. I think at the end, so okay. we'll, we'll come back to this because we're we're gonna cover a lot of this. So you said you enjoyed it. So how did you ultimately feel about this for this record? I left still feeling with a sense of optimism because you go through. It's a perfect story of the arc of love and emotion because it like it. It starts with, you know, basically a sunrise. Everything's beautiful. Then things fall apart. Why did they fall apart? It goes into a full-blown disaster movie. In the middle of the, the whole middle of the album is a disaster movie. Oh, and yeah. Chaos and rock'em, sock'em, throwing shit across the house. And then at the very end, I met a girl. I'm falling in love again. Yeah. And he's like, that's, he's like, I'm, I'll do this all over again yeah, because that's, that's how dope love is. And then he he was probably high on PCP when he wrote that part. He was just like, dude, I'm, I'm in love with PCP. He, I have to say this, and I think you kind of feel the same way, is that this record is not just the ultimate fuck you, it's not just the ultimate truth, but I think this this is a record that when it came out, I can see why people hated it. But once I sat with it and had a few more listens, some of the songs that I wasn't feeling started coming around. Mm -hmm. And it's just like I understood everything. I've never been through a, hor a horrible breakup as he had been through. But I know people. And I mean, this was all the shit they've said to me in conversations in a car at like three in the morning while we're smoking a joint. And he's just like, man, I'm, she's trying to kill me. I've There are parts of this album where I've said those things to people and I've had those things said to me. I've been on both sides of bad breakups before. So in that regard, there's definitely a sense of relatability to the pain and the anger and the frustration and what the fuck and you know what, fuck you, but wait a minute, what the fuck, what's going on in this world? Also, fuck you. <laughs> and then the next thing you know, you meet somebody new and then you're right on the ride again. Oh yeah. You'll swear that you, you'll you never do this again. I'm gonna be oh, yeah. single, team me. I'm gonna work <laughs> on myself. You're lying. All right, let's dive into the record. So it opens with Hear My Dear. And this is a doo-wop <laughs> introduction to what she and we are about to receive. And if I had to describe it, it's probably the most bitterly cold-blooded shit I have ever heard in my life. Uh, Peter, play the intro. I guess I'll have to say this album is dedicated to you. Can you imagine your ex-wife who's getting half the royalties of this record and who is also, I love this, the record label president's sister sitting down 
to listen to this for the first time because they had to do that. Like he literally, yeah. she's sitting in there and he's like, "Oh, he go," and he's just like, "Bitch, I fucking hate you." <laughs> and they paid for sessions for this. Oh my god, that's what happened when Marvin asked his engineer Art Stewart to play it for the for her in the studio. Uh, while he hid in another room. So Dude. he's sitting in another room. He's playing it for them. He's doing the fucking like home market research with the with the one-sided, the double-sided mirror yeah. watching that. Uh, according to Art, she sat there and listened, didn't say much, and then when it was over, got up and left. Didn't say anything. Didn't say a single word. Didn't say a single word. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind, uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick, and usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers, think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind Podcast. What's up, everyone? This is Jay Reason, and I want to let you all know that Diablo Zen Podcast is now part of the Sound Talent Media family. Listen in as me and the one and only Danny Diablo, a.k.a. Lord Ezak, interview artists from the hardcore punk, metal, hip-hop scenes, and beyond. We have conversations with guests like actor Peter Green, DJ Muggs from Cypress Hill, L.A. street photographer Estevan Oriel, Jimmy G from New York City's legendary Murphy's Law, and pro wrestler Vampiro, to name a few. If you're a fan of good discussions and lots of laughs, tune in and join the fun. What's the most cold-blooded shit that you've done to an ex? Outside of cheating, cheating and lying about it is pretty cold blooded. Um, oh, I can take you back. Oh, two. <laughs> so I was in a long distance relationship with this girl in, let's just say, Mississippi. And we're sharing a cell phone plan. So we're going back and forth on the phone, we keep going over our minutes. So I go, if we share a plan, we can talk to each other for free. So I put on my plan and great chemistry, everything's rolling, whatever, whatever. I get it in my brain that I'm going to propose. Now I'm like 22, 23. I have no business proposing to anyone. But in my head, that's when I'm, yeah, this is the one. She's it. Yeah. It's the South. Everyone's People are married at like 18 in yeah. the South, right? Yeah. So I go to fucking Zales in Century Plaza Mall. Fucking baller over here. $723 I spent on an engagement ring. 
We take that back. Which they say <laughs> spent two months' salary, and as a road <laughs> MC, that was about what I was making for it two months. It was just a diamond speck. Speck. What's that thing in the middle? That's a speck of diamond. So I buy this ring, and I'm spending two months figuring out how to propose. Over the same time, I am... Um, keep getting hit with cell phone overages. And I'm calling them, I'm like, yo, what the fuck? Why, why are our minutes? I only talk to you and that's free. So we're like, we only had like a 1500 minute plan. I'm like, who are you talking to? Yeah. This is my sister, I'm sorry, I'll watch my minutes. And each month my cell phone bill was double what it was the month before. So the third month I called Sprint and this is back when you could get the full call off. I remember bill. that, yeah. So you could get a 90 page cell phone bill just sent to you. So I had them send me the full call logs from the previous three months, and I just went through it, and then you could see the call patterns, and I saw where she was calling two other people. So I called Sprint, and, I, and you can see through the text messages as well. You can pull up the text and see. Like, you literally could go to Sprint.com and log in and send text the same as, like, iMessage or some shit now in 2002. Oh, wow. So I saw the conversations, and I saw the pictures. So I go, oh, okay, you're fucking both these dudes. All right, cool. Well, here's what we're going to do. So I called Sprint and I switched her phone. I switched the phone numbers of both phones. Basically, I made my phone her phone. Hey, I lost my phone. This phone, I need to be the Mississippi number. And Sprint switched it because I'm the account holder. So I called her and I said, hey, your phone's going to be down for about an hour. I'm doing something with Sprint. Just letting you know. Okay, no problem. I get her. I turn my phone into her phone. I text both dudes, tell them to meet me at the house at 11. I call her back. I call Sprint, switch the phones back. And then I call her and I go, hey, just so you know, two people will be by your house at 11 o'clock, blah, blah, blah. I know everything. Da, da, da. Maybe you can explain it to them. This is like, I call it like 1057. Like, it's like right up to when both guys are supposed to appear. Oh, yeah. At the house. And I hung up in her face and she calls back like 20 minutes later. And you can just hear two dudes in the background arguing and shit. And she's cussing me out. They're cussing her out. I'm cussing them out through the phone. Like, it's. <laughs> Man, just... it's bedlam. And I laughed about it at the time, but now that I'm older, you start reflecting on stuff that could have got you sent to jail. Somebody could have like, died. Yeah. Yes, you could have set up like a double murder homicide. And then somehow I'm a, 100% an accessory to that. I don't know if you're an accessory. I think I legally. Think some second degree murder or some shit. I'd set up the insider third, incident. Third or fourth. Easy Fifth third degree or murder. Fifth degree, 100%. Mm -hmm. You're not like, you didn't pull the trigger. But that's a stupid thing to fucking go to jail for because somebody just would rather fuck other people. But how good did it feel in the moment? God damn it, it felt so good. <laughs> oh, it felt so good. And then, so I tell you the engagement ring part to say that I took pictures of the engagement. After all this is over with, yeah. the next morning, I sent her the picture of the return receipt of the engagement ring from Zales. <laughs> Got my $743 back, <laughs> <Yeah>. bitch. <laughs> I'm balling. Yeah, so those were good times. That's that's hands down the most I've been hurt or felt hurt I can imagine, in a relationship. Yeah. But I don't know if I learned anything because then I went off and was a piece of shit to people for years and years after that. But you're not a piece of shit now, though. No, of course which not. Which is great, and that's, that's yeah. what it's all about. Your, your, youth, your youth is supposed to be the mistakes, and it's like once you get into your 30s, late 30s, that's when... Yeah, you you turn a corner. You you look back on your life and wish you'd turned it sooner, but I turned it and it's fine mm. now. But to answer the question, that was the most petty and the most angry and most hurt I'd ever been. And here's the crazy thing. We're friends now. She's married. She's got like four kids or some shit. All right, that goes into I Met a Little Girl. Now, this is probably the most normal song on the album. 
In this song, it feels traditional Marvin Gaye. It does. Thank you. Yeah. In this song, Marvin's crooning in his falsetto about how he fell for Anna and how their love died out, chronicling the years between their wedding and the impending divorce. What I loved about this song is lyrically it sets up meeting, falling in love, and then he shouts out the year 1976, and that's about the end of their marriage. And he does the most gangster shit I have ever heard. Play uh, 423. He's literally saying, hallelujah, I'm free. (laughs) <laughs> that is the most gangster shit I have ever heard. When was the best time you left a relationship and thought, fuck yeah, I'm free? Ooh. Ooh. She's not going to like me for saying this. Uh, my high school sweetheart. My high, And I have to say that because she's the only person I dated in high school. I got accused when I went on our senior trip and she was a junior, I was a senior. So we go on our senior class trip and I got accused of fucking a chick on the trip by one of her, one of her friends. It looked suspicious. I will say that me and strange because you know hey, it's not what it seems. I know we're in bed naked yo, together, but this is, I, I don't know. I sleepwalk. Sidebar. Those fucking high school senior class trips where they send Entire school systems to Cancun to mingle what with school other were you entire schools. I went to just a Birmingham city school, and they'll send you to these like resort cities in Mexico where you go to celebrate graduating high school. But at that resort are other kids from other high schools celebrating graduating high school. So it's like senior week, bro. It's like some sort of spring break. It's a fuck fest, and like it's it's insane. So. I didn't have sex with the girl, but the girl had had sex with people in the room. And so there was details became muddied as to who was having sex with whom in the room. I was asleep while people was fucking. And that's the truth. But that's not what's believed. And I got so long so short. I get back home and I'm getting accused and accused and you did it and just admit it. And I'm like, no. And then she broke up with me. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, thank God. This is a fucking relief. And I know it's weird to be 17 and like have that level of stress lifted off of your shoulders, but it's like, huh, yeah, that felt good. I mean, how right, you, I can get the fuck out of this. Yeah, thing. I mean, I, I listen, I, I've had, I've, I've only been in, I've only had two real girlfriends that were like time. And with, with one of them, I was like too scared of the situation where I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. We had a house together. We had this, we had that. But, but then with the other one, it was like, it was. It's not like I want to say that it was like because I, I do miss the girl and I do love her. But man, it's like to have that weight off of me and not to have to because every girl I've dated, I'm their whole life. So just the mm-hmm. stress and the weight of that. Yeah. So just to be free, it's like it felt like like I had my life back. But yeah, but then there's a desire to feel needed, which is that's the void after that, right? Yeah. Well, and like for me, I, I guess I never had that feeling of freedom when I was older, because after the engagement ring thing, pretty much every relationship after that, I crashed. So you can't, it was my fault. Uh, Pretty much all of them, except for one, was pretty much my fault. So not pretty much, they were my fault. So I can't, 
you don't get to crash the car and go, whew, that was a good ride. <laughs> get the fuck out of here. Like, at the time, you feel that way, but now at 40, revisionist history, I can go back and look at myself at 27 or 20 or whatever yeah. and go, yeah, that one was on me. <laughs> Probably should have handled that car a little bit better. I mean, I feel like every relationship I've been in, I feel like I can handle it better. You know what I mean? Next song. When did you stop loving me? When did I stop loving you? Which is repeated <clears throat> throughout the whole album. Yeah, this, this is, is like, now when we're taxing to the runway of anger. Yes, this like. is this is his like this is his thesis statement. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. This is because you're gonna hear this song throughout the whole record. Play uh, Five Eleven, brother. All I ever really wanted was to love you and treat you right. All we did was fuss and fight. This is probably my favorite part of the whole song because Marvin just goes off. So he opens it with a monologue that accuses Anna of lying during her wedding vows. Then he goes in. <laughs> Sample lyrics. Pretty birds fly away. I had to leave you for my health's sake. For my health. Not just yeah. for like money or anything. For my health. Like You're giving me rosacea, girl. That's what I'm saying. It's like <laughs> I got eczema because of you. Uh, this is this is the fucking most evil shit. Do you remember all the bullshit, baby? You say you love me with all your heart. If you ever loved me with all your heart, you'd never take a million dollars to part. Oh. Feel that? Oh. You, you really lied, didn't we, baby? And on top of that, you have scandalized my name. Scandalized. <laughs> they don't even use that word anymore. <laughs> I'm bringing back scandalized. What I can't understand, this is the best. What I can't understand is if you love me, how could you turn me into the police, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, he's just, at this certain point, he, he's just like going off on anything. He's like, bitch, you never bought paper towels. <laughs> and you hung the toilet paper in the underhand fashion. I mean, he just—he does not care. He's not hiding anything. This is the beauty of no social media is that this was the only outlet. Now, how many good breakup songs have been lost because the artist went on Instagram to rant instead of going to the studio to write? Yeah. And actually crooning about how people ain't shit. Like I, that's, I mean, it's well. This is listen. There, there. I think there are, in a sense, songs like this now, but they are not nearly as detailed and and like he's giving up yeah, all the good personal. There's, yeah, but that's what I'm saying is that everything now is like a metaphor. It's, it's like, abstract. It's yeah. abstract. Like it's like it's about the breakup. Like like I'll give you a, like like Beck did that album Sea Change, and he and he's got songs called Already Dead, which is about the relationship being already dead and being in a relationship with somebody where you're not to get you know they're not vibing and you know it's over but you haven't broken up. But this is just literal. Like he's being he's just saying this. You did this and I felt this. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's it's being as real. And what I love about this, this I think deserves to be the song that kind of goes through the whole record. It it has probably one of the catchiest like grooves. Yo, yeah. And, and to have <laughs> such evil shit over that groove, it's just it's a fantastic song, man. All right, that brings us into anger. It's just called anger. Play two fifty one. So this is about how emotionally out of control Marvin got during and after the breakup. And I felt pretty much everything in this song. How well do you control your emotions? Uh, I'm pretty good about it. I used to be a bit of a, I had a temper a bit as, I'd say up until about middle school. 
like in terms of like I like when I play Nintendo and the game cheats or the computer wins, I'd bash the keyboard or throw a controller and break you know, like stuff like that. But other than that, I've never anger is like the only thing that I can connect with. But if I'm going to get mad about something, it has to be DEFCON 5, Scorch the Earth, or it's not worth it. It's literally not worth it. And I've just always viewed anger as a wasted emotion. Like, it's not even it's not even good for writing anymore. Because you just get on stage and just rant, and you're not even performing the material. Because you're just on some... Like, I went through a wannabe Lewis Black phase for a while in my stand-up. Kind of like a Lewis Black, Doug Stanhope type vibe with it it's like no this doesn't even work for you because you're faking the anger because you're not even really angry so even in a fabricated sense it just never worked for me do you do anything to kind of keep your anger under control now or is it like meditation like or you know writing whatever it is it's just like do you get it out through the pen yeah i mean generally speaking if something is frustrating me i can just look and make an overall assessment of where this is going to go and if it's not somewhere productive then it's not worth it's not worth entering i've been in arguments i've been in shouting matches in relationships before and even that now knowing what i know now that goes back to what you said about learning through bad relationships what works and what doesn't work like i know now any emotional escalation on my half doesn't help the situation it never has and like anger more often than not does not feed a situation passion speaking with passion that helps yeah that helps. that's good but even that has to be received as passion by a person so you even you still have to know what the fuck how they read your body language to decide whether or not they're reading it as passion or anger so nah i mean if i'm frustrated i can do a sudoku puzzle or a jigsaw puzzle, like stuff like that stuff that just works my brain yeah i deal with that but like if i'm dealing like i'm not I'm not as angry as much as I am, say, diabolical or something like that. That's more my lane. Like, I'm not going to argue back and forth with you. Like, I'm just, I'm just not. That's not what I'm going to do. But what I will do is switch over both phones and call your two dudes your fucking <laughs> and tell them to come to your house. Like, that. Yeah, that's diabolical. That's, shit. that's, that's evil madman. Hi, this is Paul Phelps. And this is Monica Strutt. And we're from the Daily Music Business Podcast. We're joined by a number of other really great hosts in creating daily content with great advice for independent musicians just like you. That's right. We put out episodes daily on all topics from music marketing to branding, advice on signing with a manager and label and anything else you need to up-level the business side of your music career. We've got it covered. Subscribe to the Daily Music Business Podcast today on your favorite podcast catcher. Subscribe today to the Daily Music Business Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. But I've never, especially in relationships, just 
straight up yelling and fight like that's never been my mo because i'm not a fighter and when you like it's hard to be an angry person who is also not ready to back up the anger because if you're angry in general it's not just towards women and just relationships you want to fight the cashier at the fast food spot yeah. you want to fight the opposing player on the basketball it's you're always fight 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 mode and i was never ready to just I'm not I'm not going to fight you. So me cussing you out is pointless because if I cuss you out and then you go, let's fight. I have to fight. Yeah, because I started the shit. So I'm just no, I'm not going to do that. All right. Is that enough? I actually love this next song. Uh, this is one of several songs Marvin wrote after returning from a hard day in divorce court. Marvin <laughs> really plays the victim uh, hard in this one. Uh, so here's my favorite lyrics. You got a flair for style, and the style is all the while. What could I do? The judge said she got to keep on living the way she accustomed to. And then she trying to break a man. That's that's great. Here's my favorite part of the song. Play uh, 409. Somebody tell me, <laughs> Motherfucking retainer. Ooh, I got this dude on a retainer. Bitch, I fucking hate you. Can you? One thing about Marvin that not everyone knows is that he once claimed to be last of the great chauvinists. He said, I'll never change. I like to see women serve me, and that's that. <laughs> It's so funny. It's like, listen, I, I, I'm, I love, I love this record. I mean, there's some stuff I didn't like about it, but I love this record. But that is like, you can't be the most popular singer in, in what I would say, probably the world at the t- at a certain point when he was out, and and think like that, and then put that out there, and not expect there to be some level of negative feedback. I think every, like the same way when you get engaged, you have to go to like a marriage counselor or or a pastor and talk shit out before you go get married for yeah. real. This album should be just essential listening. To, what, to if you're going to get yeah, married, it's like, here you go. Yeah, you got to slide in this Marvin Gaye no, essay on. But I just think for someone, like, I think there's there some of the some of the artists that are out now are, like, undercover chauvinists. But for Marvin just to put it out there like that. So what's an unpopular opinion that you openly hold? Shit, I don't know. I think Chick-fil-A is delicious. <laughs> I haven't eaten there in a long time, but... Have you I'll heard all this hype about Popeyes right now? Dude, I've had eight of those sandwiches. Are they that good? They're fucking amazing. Really? They're fucking amazing. All right, I'll go tonight. Like, like if, if the anti-gay agenda doesn't eradicate Chick-fil-A, Popeyes, Popeyes. Popeyes <laughs> would do the rest of the work. Because I keep telling people part of the reason why the Chick-fil-A thing is a big deal is because the sandwich is good. That's why... Like when people go, all right, I'm not going to eat Chick-fil-A and stand with the LGBTQ community. That is a big deal because that was a good goddamn sandwich. I'm not giving up church's chicken. Yeah, I'm giving up Chick-fil-A. Like that is why it's a big deal. Because people go, fuck Chick-fil-A. They hate gay people and the chicken sandwich is nasty. I go say, oh, wait a minute. I'm, I'm with you on the front end of that statement. <laughs> but let's not slander the chicken. Let's not act like this wasn't the most delectable chicken sandwich you ever had until you found out that truth. Why is it so good? It's I just a fucking, it's just a chicken breast with a little bit of breading on it and some pickles. I don't know, man. They just did it. It's seasoning. I'm black. I can taste all the spices. <laughs> I, okay. I can't argue with that. Know. I mean, that's, that's, that's perfect math. That checks out. All right. 
everybody needs love. So this is just a pleading, soulful doo-wop jam, and it doesn't really add a whole lot to the theme of the album because it's nice, and it doesn't sound too spiteful or cynical. So uh, good song, but let's get back to TMZ. All right. Uh, yeah, I don't think it, it fit. It just was, it was, yeah, it just, it was just, it was a, a good song. It's a palate cleanser, maybe. I, it's, the, it's the sorbet in between meals at a French restaurant. Yeah. All right, time to get it together. This is probably what I think is the rawest, most upbeat track on here, and I love it. It's like he finally takes responsibility for his side of the street. Uh, Peter, play a little bit for me. I love it. He's openly singing about his cocaine problem. Do you think that 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 paints does this album up until this point paint Mrs. Gordy in a negative light as if she it was all her fault? Oh, well, because, hey, Marvin, 100 percent was probably a huge factor in all this. That, and that was going to be my question to you in listening to the album was that the lack of accountability or the delayed accountability that comes in this project and not really because in a lot of because in most breakup albums it's fuck you it's your fault it's your fault it's your fault then he goes nah i was doing some shit and hoes and cocaine so there is some ownership of that i think yeah i think that, like we were talking about a palate cleanser i think this is also another palate cleanser where he's giving the 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 listeners he's not just saying hey she fucked up but i fucked up too do you know what i mean is that the proper order when you're doing and I get it because because he's angry. Yeah. Yeah. That defeats the whole purpose of a fuck you. Of course, if you go, well, let me just start by saying I have my fault, but fuck (laughs) you motherfucker. Like it doesn't hit the same. No, it doesn't. But sequence. That's why he hit it right in the middle. He hit it like track six. So he could be like, she ain't gonna gonna get this far. Uh, So Marvin admitted when discussing his use of cocaine, no one will ever tell me it's not a good feeling. He says it's a clean, fresh high, especially early in the morning, will set you free at least for a minute. And he also said, uh, I saw coke as an elitist item, a gourmet drug, and maybe that was one of its attractions. Was I corrupting myself? Slowly, very slowly. Um, All right, Sparrow. Uh, in Sparrow, Gay reflects on a divine symbol, a bird that represents his endless creativity. The sparrow that sings to him drives his music with its messages of peace, love, and even saving the environment found in many of his <laughs> lyrics. But it's really Marvin singing about his about the pain he's feeling and having to sing about the pain he's feeling. So this is self-comfort for him. Uh, Peter, play a little bit for me. I used to hear a sparrow singing, baby. Oh, but one day as I went along, I didn't hear a song. It's one of the most self-aware moments in the album to like take a moment outside of himself and just go, wow, I have to do this. This is what I have to sing about right now. Yeah. Like that's, it's very powerful. Like drugs and all of his shortcomings, he was one of those artists that could take it almost the same way Pryor could take all of his faults on stage and make it a great stand-up routine. Yeah. Marvin Gaye still dealt that with harboring some of the most negative emotions you can have. Like that's divorce. There's arguably nothing more painful that doesn't cut you wide open at least. And he is wide open right now. He is wide the fuck open. So he's giving himself like a pep talk. I like that. He's giving himself the advice <laughs> that, that he needs. 
what's the best advice that you've ever gotten? Ooh, um, there's there's a couple. Um, I tell it as a really long story um, on stage sometimes, but I'm, I had a long conversation with a prostitute in Jersey. <laughs> as we do. <laughs> as we do. With Them Jersey yeah. hoes. Yeah. That's where they did pimps up, hoes down. Did they? I probably. She I don't know. I think so. The Jersey out. <laughs> Were you the um, narrator? Because you, you rhymed perfectly. Hook is on the point. All that. <laughs> hook is on the point. Dude, I used Smoking to watch a all joint. That. I used to watch Real Sex Part 48. Oh, my whatever. God. The Tapili and the Tapuli. I know all about <laughs> yeah. that shit, dude. Um, <laughs> I was staying at this really shitty hotel in Elizabeth, New Jersey. And, this, um, and it's where prostitutes would like rent rooms by the hour to fuck whoever they were picking up on the street. And me and the other comic, we're, you know, we're bunking together. We're doing the Apollo. And so... The Apollo Theater. Yeah. Like this the like, Apollo. Okay, so it's like staying, 01 when Apollo... But you're staying in Jersey. Correct. You, you, you're broke. Nights in, twenty four ninety nine a night. Yeah. And oh my so, God! Yes, you already know what type of situation this <laughs> that's is. Way, that's 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 like a that's like a blue roof in. That's that is <laughs> that is just a dark black. You roof open in. the door and your car is right there in front of the door. Oh yeah, yeah that type of shit. There's people hanging out in the parking lot they on top their, of your they, car. They have their door open. It's just been open. Yeah, in and out. People yeah, sitting on the porch, open air drug trade, and there's prostitutes in and out every night. And we get into this long conversation just about life and all of that shit. And somehow we get on the topic of what she does. And I'm like, you know, do you like what you do? And like, like how, what's the way out of this? And she starts talking and expanding about how it's a job and she doesn't enjoy it, but she goes into unnecessary detail about how the only time she can come is if the dude has a smooth dick. And I remember this vividly. Smooth. She, she just goes, it's got to be smooth, baby. It don't matter if it's curved, if it's short, if it's long. If it ain't smooth, I can't do nothing with it. <laughs> and it's just, it's way more graphic than I'm giving right now. And we go to the Apollo and we get booed. Me and Henry Coleman get booed. Oh, Henry? Yeah. I love Henry. Henry. Oh, yeah, I, I, I remember Bliss Cafe, dude. That was my dog. Obliteratedly booed. Both of y'all? Yeah, both. Back to back. And we get back in the car and we head back to the hotel. And we pull up to the hotel and we get out the car. And it's clear that we've been crying. Because this is like our Well, thank God both of you. Moment. Yeah, thank God both of you guys bombed because that would have been horrible if like Henry killed <laughs> and you would have bombed and you're crying. <laughs> oh, awkward. Oh. So it's clear that we've both been crying in the car because we've blown what we think is our only opportunity at having a career. Same prostitute sees us, walks over, and she just looks at us at fucking faces. And she knew we were going to Apollo and shit. And she looks at us, she just goes, baby, sometimes the dick's going to have bumps on them. <laughs> you just got to shake that off. And she turned around and walked away. And it it really perfectly captured what stand-up is. Yeah. It's just bumpy dicks. It's bumpy dicks. And then every now and then... Everything is smooth and it's perfect and it's exactly how you fucking want it. To Sometimes be. you get the eggshell dick. Sometimes you do, dude. It was literally at what was my emotionally lowest career wise at the time. That was exactly what I needed to hear, and it stuck with twenty years now. You ever keep in touch with her? <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Hey, keep keep that crazy keep the smooth dick. The smooth dick. How crazy would it be if she's still out there? 20 years later 
What was her looking. name? Do you remember? No, I never asked. Never asked. Same thing with strippers. You just don't ask. It's just a familiarity. Yeah. There's something weird about sex workers and comedy. It's so similar in the sense of just you're kind of damaged and you're just entertaining strangers. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's all performative. We too. both get dollar bills shoved in our butt. Cheeks, <laughs> so, I mean, it's the same fucking thing. All right. Next song, Anna's song. Uh, this is this is all right. I didn't really think this is one of the best songs on the record, but there's a part in it where Marvin screams Anna's name. Anna. We've all done that. We've all just like, <laughs> you know, Brittany just like screamed at a girl's name. And so I completely get it because he's not taking direct shots at Anna. He's kind of talking about the good stuff about her. Leaving it open to interpretation of what might happen. Um, good song. Not my favorite on the record. Uh, thoughts? Well, because the anger was kind of gone and now yeah. it's reflective. Yeah, I don't mind the, I don't mind the reflective. I, remi- I love that he's, there's this dichotomy between his anger and then, and then the, the sensitivity that he still feels. But uh, just it wasn't. The song, it was just so like down tempo. I don't think it flowed with the rest of the record. Then we go back to uh, When Did You Stop Loving Me Again, which is a great song. Uh, love the sax in it. It's basically uh, booty breakup music, yeah, which is great. But then we get to a funky space reincarnation. Play a little bit of the song for me. Like years ahead, you and me gonna be getting down on a space bed. So I know you like like <laughs> outcast and shit. Like this is this is where yeah. they're sampling from. That yeah. like you can hear a lot of influence from rappers and and hip hop coming from the stuff that Marvin's doing. Now this was inspired. I love this from the summer's blockbuster Star Wars, as well as by George Clinton's Parliament Funkadelic science fiction concept album of 1975, Mothership Connection. This is a long, funky disco jam. But I love that this was about Star Wars. Like, he was so <laughs> into that movie, he just had to put that yeah, in his not fucking Not drugs are hitting. Yeah, but, but it's like, but what if he would have lived longer? Do you know what I mean? It would have been like, ooh, Jurassic Park, come on, run from the Velociraptor's gonna run them raptor down. Ooh, girl. And equate it to love, and once love catches you, it rips you apart yeah. and shreds you. <laughs> All right, now we've come to my favorite two songs on the record, which I think, I don't know why he did it like this, but these next two songs are just, I think they are the reason why this album is on this record. So first is You Can Leave, But It's Gonna Cost You. Now this Mm -hmm. is something Anna told Marvin during a fight when they were at her sister Gwen's house. This one reads like an argument. Go ahead and play the chorus. You can leave, but it's gonna cost you. I mean, it's just, this is why I think people love Marvin Gaye. It's just yeah. that this, a song like this, the falsetto voice, the emotion that he's putting behind it, but it's just so catchy. And he is giving you the rawest shit out there. This is a personal attack, but it's probably the best chorus on the record. If he really wanted to, he could have, if he'd have taken his time with letting the anger settle over a few months, this almost could have been like a full movie almost like with each song connecting the scenes and it's still he's telling a story there's still an entire arc yeah to this album 
but the level of specificity to some of the moments of tension and disappointment and hurt and reflecting on his own like that part of it like that's somebody saying that to you that's when you know all bets are off yeah because they're thinking about money yeah so, oh yeah we're leaving oh you're leaving okay cool well, I'm the money. well he was he but this is this is when he was at his brokest you know he tax people he's he talks about that in the album the tax people are taking the money now he's going through a divorce he's got a drug problem which is probably at the time i mean five six hundred dollars a day in fucking in in 70s money how, how is the, i still don't know how much that is in like how do you not die with that it's like god damn i mean like I, those I, prices the, the worst i ever got with opiates is i was on a 200 dollars a day oxycontin budget and but my tolerance was so high that i was fine now i probably could have died but i didn't with cocaine he's probably buying a shitload and then giving it he's probably got girls and friends oh, so yeah. he's probably he's party, still doing party, it party. i don't yeah. think he's doing scarface level but he might okay that's because he's free that's always envision yeah well, i mean go, he might be I did ninety because in my brain I'm like, what is that ninety dollars a day? Like the Scarface Mound? I, I don't know what that costs. Like, I don't Scarface know. Scarface Mound is ninety dollars a day. I a have. Mound. I'm saying anything I have that no comes special. in mound form is ninety dollars. <laughs> mound is is twenty thirty thousand. Mound five digits. Yeah, you're talking at least. I'd say the pound. The, the mound. I don't know why I said pound. Mound is probably a pound, and a pound is probably like sixty seventy thousand. Yeah. Then there's also the metric system and shit. That's part of why I never fuck with drugs because I don't know grams. You missed out, man. Coke is fun, grams. dude. I would have been selling Coke by the pint. I wouldn't have even known how to measure it. Well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Ani DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Mo, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. What I love about this song, uh, Marvin is sitting here complaining about well, what it's going to cost him, but Marvin had, was already with a young woman and had two kids and was spending all of his money on drugs and whatever while he was complaining about how Anna was doing him wrong. Wait, so the woman and kids came before Anna? Or no, after so Anna? he's going or through all of this, and then he, he, so, I don't know if that, that math is true, but it says, my note that I've written here is Marvin was already, so he's going through this breakout, he's already with a new girl, and he had two kids with that girl. So this took this breakup. Oh. I think took a while. So he's just because this this breakup was a long thing. This isn't like he wrote it yeah, while they were still litigious. together. Yeah. So this is like he had no money left, and he was like, "I got to pay this woman." So he makes the album. And during that time, he's got two kids with another woman, and he's singing about how Anna's doing him wrong. Do you think Marvin's being hypocritical? No, because that business ain't got nothing to do with this business. I can still be mad and angry about what happened between us while seeking happiness somewhere else whether or not that union was sincere 
I, I question that. You can't bring all that hurt into some new situation and expect that to be positive. Can you imagine what it's like being that new girl and like having to... You know, like, hey, baby, let me hear the new album. Ooh. Oh, no! <laughs> all right. The, my favorite song on the record, and it's one that we brought up. It's the hope in the record. It's Falling in Love Again. Uh, Peter, play a little bit. Now I'm falling in love again. I'm falling in love again. What I do think is so dope about this song is that for 12 songs, he's shitting on Anna. But, but I mean, he's just like, let's run it back. That, that ultimately <laughs> is just so great. And one year later, this is funny, Marvin and Janice broke up. The new girl, one year after this record came out. Well, of course. Yeah. You're still angry about some other stuff. He's an you angry got guy. issues, man. You never worked through all of that stuff, and you're trying to bring a new person into that fold? No, you can't. You want to do some facts? Okay. Because I'm coming with facts again. All right. Uh, Here My Dear's influence has only grown with time as artists such as Nas, Beyonce, and Jay-Z have all released records reflecting on divorce and the trials of marriage. Nas' most recent album, Life is Good, was influenced by Hear My Dear, and the legendary MC even noted that he got Jay-Z listening to the Marvin Gaye album for inspiration. I can see that. I can see this being like a groundbreaking record in that, you know. It's like he's, I don't know, like you said, there are people making breakup records, but being this honest, I mean, something like Lemonade yeah. doesn't come out if this album doesn't come out. Of course not. And I think what makes it dope with an artist like Nas is that hip hop is so full of machismo and not being, number one, not being accountable. Number two, being too tough to feel hurt that this album, somebody you respect, as highly respected as Marvin Gaye is, you can go, wow, even he went through the shit and he shared it. Okay, well, maybe I should yeah. talk about some of this shit a little bit. Yeah. The cover of the album has an empty-handed statue of Marvin in a toga next to the Kiss statue by Rodan, which is two lovers sitting and kissing. The inside opens to show two sides of, an, of a Monopoly board. Marvin's side only has $1 and his music. Anna's side of the board has a house, cars, and lots of money as fires burn <laughs> in the background. <laughs> what? That yeah, that's if you have the record, that's what you'll see. That is just that is the, wow. That is the dopest shit. He just keeps digging. He just keeps digging. He does not give a fuck. He he's oh, he's, the he's literally specificity, like, man. I love it. I think that's great. What is the most precious thing that you've lost uh, in a breakup? Time. Ooh, now you're right about that. Um, uh, I had a girl break up with me one time because I was being an asshole and she broke up while I was out of town. And when I came back home, I found out that she had cut the pockets out of all of my pants, which seems trivial, but you don't realize how much you use pockets until you have no, no pockets. Yeah, And I don't mean like cut the stitching with the whole, literally the entire pocket, the entire sheath of the whole shell of a pocket gone. Just a whole, like if you lift up the pocket, you just see my skin. Every pair of pants I own, cut the pockets, threw them away. So for like a week and a half, I have a backpack. I'm doing fanny packs. Like I'm doing anything. Just I don't have shit to put my keys in. Like that's the only thing that I can think where someone like literally took something and like to fuck with me where I go, man, I missed that. Thankfully, a record like this, I can't relate to. On that level, on that level of pain of just straight up, just everything I work to build is just gone. And then the more you sing, the more you still have to pay her. So it's this endless 
It's this endless alimony hole that yeah. he's starting to tumble down. In between one suicide attempt with a gun over his failing relationship with Anna in 1969 that was thwarted, did I say that right? Thwarted? Yeah, thwarted. By her, thwarted by her father and him trying to throw himself out of a moving car a few days before he was killed. In 1979, Marvin had the most 70s suicide plan ever. He went to Maui and took a full ounce of cocaine by himself. He laid, It's a mound. That's, okay, a mound. that's a mound. But he explained later, I had given up. The problems were too big for me. I just wanted to be left alone and blow my brains out on high-octane toot. It would be a slow but relatively pleasant death, certainly less messy than a gun. Let's consider it. Yeah. What's the craziest thing you've ever done under the influence? Uh thought that I was going to... Um, I know one time on shrooms I thought I was going to die. Or at least I started becoming conscious about this, the awareness of death and like just texting random people on my phone. I love you, man. And like it was real sincere shit. Yeah. Then you sober up and you go, oh, wow, I should do that more often. Those were fucking nice messages and nice things to say to people. I should fucking engage with strangers and my friends more often. Like that was always a thing. But I just, I never got, I never really got shit faced drunk, man. I would say love is probably the drug more than. What's the craziest else. thing you've ever done like, in love? Like uh, the adrenaline, I think. Like, there's so many crimes that are just fucking for the thrill. Like, you're just doing it just because, oh, this is exciting. And you get probation and you go, okay, I can't do that. What's another exciting thing? Ooh, stand-up comedy. That's as exciting and fulfilling. Okay, I'll do that. And that's where, like, when you're in a relationship, I think that 50% of cheating is based in thrill and the adrenaline of trying not to sure. Get oh, a hundred percent. I'd say I'd say I'd say it's ninety percent. It's just something new. It's yeah. exciting. That's dude. And there's a danger to it. There's a yes. forbiddenness to it, and that is also a drug. So if I'm gonna say I think it's that. I think those those years of my life, that was definitely like something that, oh, this girl called the house and she wasn't supposed to. My phone rang too late, and oh, and now we're yelling at each other. Ooh, this is exciting, man! I don't know what's gonna happen when I get home. Oh shit, where are my pockets? Cut <laughs> all my pockets out, my nice pants. Nice callback. I forgot about the pockets. So That's fucking dope. I'd say that if if we're equating love to being a drug, it's trying to get love from multiple places concurrently, and it being trouble free. All right. Last fact. A few years before his death, Marvin and Anna reconciled and became extremely close. Wow. Can you yeah, imagine just that? Like, yes, I can. I'm close with the engagement ring. But you didn't. You didn't. Ma- oh, you. Oh, fuck. I forgot about that. Yeah. Dude, if you could do that. Yeah. She went to him to award. She went with him to award shows and other functions. She even learned to appreciate the album and she never married again. And in 1987, when Marvin was posthumously... Yeah, posthumously. Posthumously. I'm such a dum-dum. <laughs> when Marvin was posthumously inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Anna accepted the award for him. She took the money and the award. That's a nice little bow on this, on this story. Do you well, know what he, I mean? He still owed her. True. Still older. Still does. So you. So I. The question I had was: Have you maintained relationships uh, or friendships with any of your exes? I mean, let's say because I know you've you got one. So out of all the relationships, how many relationships have you had? Do you think I in your know. life? I don't know, man. So what will be the percentage of ones you keep one, in touch with? Uh, me and engagement 
chick we keep in touch from time to time on like she'll like photos like we swap likes when i say keep in touch i mean like that yeah i mean there's one or two people that i cheated on who i know would never want to fucking see or hear from me again like the, the statement you're the villain in someone else's story i'm for sure that or you know maybe i'm not maybe they don't think twice about me i think it's arrogant to think that they're only living their life around the anger that they harbor towards how you treated them but you can't dictate that. The, none of that bothers me. You know, it's just it just is what it is. I don't think that you have the right to control where you belong in someone else's life. You know, like the, the like when when dudes get over having mistreated someone and then, hey, I want I want to be back in you. I think we should be friends. Well, you don't get to fucking decide that. You know, so you just have to just leave that shit alone, man. So you know, I've just learned to respect all relationships with people and you just don't know which ones are permanent, which ones are short term, long term. It's just some of them you just go, okay, well, I guess that was the length of that ride. Yep. Moving on. So I Sickler told me this. He said, sometimes you're with somebody for just a song. You know what I mean? You're not the full album. It's just a song. Yeah. And I like that. I like I like when you put it into that perspective. The trick is knowing knowing the difference though. So. Sometimes you're in like sometimes it's stairway to heaven. Sometimes it's fucking, <laughs> you know, Mbop or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> all right, final thoughts on the record. Uh, all in all, I thought it was a great emotionally naked album. Definitely a departure from traditional Marvin Gaye fare that we came to be used to. And also, I think it's fair to acknowledge how much radio plays into why this album failed. Because if the radio station decides, oh, well, there's only one single on here then the radio station isn't even acknowledging the brilliance of it. Or because this album was thematic, like most thematic albums, it's hard to extrapolate one, one or two yeah. standalone songs, an A and a B side, if you will, to make the album work, you know, commercially. So, you know, I, I would argue that part of this album's failure comes from what is still to this day in radio this ideology that there's only one or two ways to make a particular hit song and that there's no other music worth hearing other than something that's catchy and makes you feel look beat. Yeah. Cause nobody in morning drive wants to be angry. Like you, you can't <laughs> play it. You could, <laughs> you're just like getting in the car. Fuck man. It's an hour drive to work. Anger. Anger. I'm mad as fuck. Anger. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I think all in all, I think it was a meaningful, it's a very bold, bold choice. It's definitely probably top 10 most pettiest acts <laughs> of all time. For it to come full circle, it makes me feel a little bit better about laughing so hard. At yeah. It. Thank you so much for coming on, bro. Thank you, brother. My pleasure. For all things Roy Wood Jr., go to his website, RoyWoodJr.com, and you can find him at Roy Wood Jr. on all social media. Watch The Daily Show every night of the week on Comedy Central. Our man Roy is going to be on there killing the game. I'll be posting Roy's Spotify mixtape, and for all things 500, like the mixtapes from all our guests, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. 
Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. And please follow my staff, Avery Funny, DJ Morty Coyle, JT Podcast Exec, Badass Wizard, and Real Matt Penfield. Please subscribe on Spotify or your favorite platform to listen to this podcast. And if you do listen to it on Apple, please leave a review. Rate it and leave a review. Now, we just listened to Marvin Gaye from 1978. Here is our new music this week, selected by our music director, Matt Pinfield. He selected Sir. Sir Daryl Ferris, who goes by the name Sir, is a soul singer and producer from Inglewood, California. A huge fan of Marvin Gaye's, he's a great example of the new movement of soul. He just released a new single featuring Kendrick Lamar called Head Down. Listen to it on Spotify and check out the link on our website, the500podcast.com. If you are in a band and you were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured on the 500 website, send your song to 500podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you put the album and the artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week is Los Lobos Weeks as we go through their 1984 album, How Will the Wolf Survive? So y'all got some homework to do. Listen to Los Lobos on Spotify. Stay fleecy. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? Ha! How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at Tuesday. 020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. Next Chapter Podcasts.